water, earth, fire, air. My grandmother used to tell me stories about the old days, a time of peace when the Avatar kept balance between the water tribes, Earth Kingdom, Fire Nation, and Air Nomads, but that all changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, only he could stop the ruthless firebenders, but when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years have passed and the Fire Nation is nearing victory in the war. Two years ago, my father and the men of my tribe journeyed to the Earth Kingdom to help fight against the Fire Nation, leaving me and my brother to look after our tribe. Some people believe that the Avatar was never reborn in the Air Nomads and that the cycle was broken, but I haven't lost hope. I still believe that somewhere, the Avatar will return to save the world. Welcome back to What's Appa, a rewatch podcast of the greatest show ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Joyce. I'm Justin. And I'm Anand. And welcome to episode one of our podcast, where we're finally going to start rewatching the show together. So today we're going to be discussing two episodes, Bang for Your Buck, episodes one and two, Boy in the Iceberg and The Avatar Returns. So um, Anand, why don't you tell us what the two episodes are about? Thanks, Joyce. So inspired by Netflix, I just have a brief synopsis of each of the episodes. So to start off with the season opener, The Boy in the Iceberg, uh, we have Katara and Sokka of the Southern Water Tribe discover a mysterious airbender boy while fishing, an encounter that will forever change their lives. Dun, dun, dun. And then the second episode is The Avatar Returns, uh, in which Aang is expelled from the Southern Water Tribe and Fire Nation Prince Zuko besieges the Southern Water Tribe, only for Aang to make a bold return. And so now I think we're going to go into a chronology of the episodes and talk about kind of each of the scenes and the importance of what goes on. Yeah. So another reason why we're doing the two episodes together is because they're actually premiered in a one hour long special on Nickelodeon. Um, so, yeah, they're showed back to back um, and they really lay the scene for uh, setting up the world and introducing you to the characters. Just before we get started, this one, or both of these episodes were written by Mike DiMartino and Brian Konitzko, um, and they are directed by Dave Filoni. So why don't we start with the title sequence? So one big thing that's different is she kind of goes into her history with her father leaving the tribe and journeying to the Earth Kingdom, which you don't hear in the later openings. Uh, by and large, everything else is pretty similar. Um, the only thing else that she describes in the intro in the first episode is that some people didn't believe that the Avatar was never reborn in the Air Nomads and that the cycle is broken. Going off that, um, not only does it show that some people are pessimistic um, about the Avatar, but it shows that Katara is optimistic that the Avatar, Avatar will return. And it's cool that even from the very beginning title sequence, they already begin to um, form the character of Katara, someone who's optimistic very optimistic, even if at times to a fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, wait, two more fun facts before we get to the first scene. So um, actually, this these are the first two episodes of the show, but there's actually an unaired pilot that um, the two creators, Brian and Mark, or Brian and Mike, sorry, used to pitch the show to Nickelodeon. And um, that's just a fun fact, and you can definitely look into that more on your own. Um, and then the second thing about the first episode is it was originally supposed to be named The Boy With Tattoos. She sounds pretty badass for Aang. <laughs> <laughs> kind of paints him out to be a bad boy. <laughs> Whereas a boy in the iceberg is like, what is he doing there? <laughs> okay, 
Okay, first scene. So in the first scene, Sokka and Katara are seen fishing um, in amongst the glaciers. And there are a couple uh, things that happen. We get a sense of their brother-sister relationship and kind of rivalry. Okay, first thing that stuck out to me was a kind of a cinema sin, which I don't know if I came up with on my own. I think I did. But she actually takes her glove off for waterbending while she's catching the fish. But in the next scene, her gloves are back on. And also, I thought that was really weird because I was like, do you need to have your hands <laughs> free to bend? Which you definitely don't because clearly she put her glove back on. Um, anyways, there's a cinema sin. I think we're going to have some of those in here as well. But I, when I read the cinema sins, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, they tried their best, you know. Yeah, but so I guess we see Katara kind of doing the work and that kind of sets the stage for Sokka and Katara's relationship. So we have Sokka trying to fish, but he basically fails. And we have Katara beginning to waterbend and she actually begins to entrap a fish. But then Sokka in his tirade um, pops the bubble and the fish goes back into the water. So it kind of sets up the relationship as Sokka, who's all talk in a sense and doesn't actually do the work, but we have Katara um, who's actually beginning to kind of, you know, do the important stuff here. Yeah. Something I found really cool in the dialogue at least was it starts to establish the culture of the water tribes, both North and South in that at some point Katara kind of calls Sokka out for being sexist and he never does anything at home, etc. And um, you kind of see this later when they go to the Northern Water Tribe and she literally like basically fights the patriarchy and how the Water Tribe treats uh, men and women differently. And something else I kind of found interesting was when she was bending, it was kind of an extension of the emotions she was feeling. When she's trying to catch the fish, she's kind of unsure and the water is kind of in a big blob above Sokka. But when she's angry at her brother and she's kind of throwing her hands down, you see all this release of like very powerful bending. Bending that she obviously doesn't know how to control yet, but you see it manifests as an extension of her emotions, which I always thought was a really cool concept in bending and kind of something you see paralleled in other magic systems like Harry Potter, etc. Yeah, totally. I also wrote that down um, when she was losing control of her emotions. She got more powerful and caused a lot more destruction. And it reminded me of Zuko and firebending in general, how firebending, at least after the time of the dragons, was fueled mostly by anger. And so, um, yeah, it's really interesting how emotion plays into um, the bending. Um, but yeah, going back to the um, sexism that's going on in these this first scene with Sokka just being kind of this angsty maybe insecure I mean definitely insecure male figure in the tribe I and mean, he's he's the eldest male right now all the other men have left to fight in the war um I wrote toxic masculinity question mark question mark but I also think another part of it that factors in is he's just now becoming a teenager and realizing that he's been left behind and wanting to assume more responsibility but obviously he's also not only dealing with the fact that he's the only like man coming of age in the Southern Water Tribe, but also a non-bender and Katara is the bender in, in the sibling relationship. And so I think there's inferiority that comes along with um, being the older brother and the non-bender who feels like he's not useful. Um, so yeah, really sets that dynamic up right off the bat. And, and obviously Sokka grows. And from here on out, Sokka will continue to grow in that aspect throughout the show. But 
Yeah. Okay. So just another thing I mean, he says, like, leave it to a girl to screw things up. And then in that whole exchange, this was from Cinema Sins, not from me. But um, Katara calls him a string of insults and she uses nut brained. And then in the Cinema Sins guys, like, is this just the Nickelodeon version of dickhead? Because <laughs> it literally is, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, yeah. Oh, and it's got to keep it clean for the kids out there. <laughs> But yeah, so even going beyond that, so Katara also mentions she had a comment that was like ever since mom died. Um, And so that's the reveal that their mom is dead. And obviously that had a big impact on Sokka and Katara. And I think Katara feels like she kind of does all the work to take care of the family. And that's another instance of where Sokka feels this inferiority complex feeling that he must prove himself. Also, um, so this this whole scene, I really like it because it's really short, but it kind of sets up both the characters and both their flaws um, really well. And obviously with Katara, we see her anger and her emotions and how that boils over. And that's also a huge thing throughout the show of how she just feels a lot and that sometimes it it can go overboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then the next thing that happens is the iceberg appears. Dun, dun, dun. So fun fact I learned was that the iceberg actually appears because Katara in her fit of rage cracks the ice and that causes the ice to surface um, because it is submerged as we learn later from the storm and from the flashback and whatever. So, um, yeah, then we are introduced to this mysterious boy in the iceberg. Yeah, and we see... Something interesting to um, Sokka and Katara's reactions to it. We see Sokka is kind of cautious and kind of warns Katara, but Katara kind of jumps for it and goes like run toward runs towards the interesting thing. So that also sets up their character a little bit. Yeah. And the other thing was this, this once the iceberg appears, we uh, at first Sokka and Katara are bickering, but then um, you see Sokka kind of put his arm around Katara and um, try to protect her. So there is a lot of love that underlies the relationship. And and I think that's really sweet. And throughout this, throughout these two episodes, you'll see Sokka continually trying to keep Katara safe um, because she's kind of more likely the one to be seeking out danger or new opportunities or whatever. Something that really jumped out to me in this scene, and some of you Cora veterans out there will <laughs> will realize this. this isn't is, about Cora, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when when he comes out of the ice uh, iceberg, it's almost much like an ice ball. Like this giant blast of spirit energy goes into the sky, and it kind of remember like reminded me of the northern and southern spirit portals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it looks very similar. And I was thinking that kind of ties everything back to the Avatar being this very spiritual figure. Okay, then speaking of this giant ray of light, we the next scene is Zuko on the ship. We get introduced to Zuko um, and we learn a little bit about him as well as Iroh. Yeah, so the first thing Zuko says is finally after he sees the light and it kind of shows that there's been a long search that Zuko has been looking for something. Uh, we realize it's the Avatar and it shows kind of the desperation mode he's in right now. Um, and then also I'll comment on Iroh, who's kind of just chilling, drinking his tea, playing some pie show. Um, yeah. I don't think he was playing pie show. Okay, sorry. My what bad. <laughs> well, yeah. it, it was some like uh, card game. He had these tiles, but it wasn't pie oh, show. Oh, you're right. It wasn't pie show. I also wrote down pie show, but you're right. It wasn't. Yeah, it was some card game, I think. Um, but yeah, him with his games and his tea, trying to just calm Zuko down. He's in retirement mode. I think the man has seen a lot in his lifetime, you know. Um, and then the next scene, Aang meets Katara and Sokka. So 
yeah, Katara really goes for the iceberg, tries to crack it open, and then Aang emerges and faints and falls into Katara's arms. And I just want to talk about this love at first sight going on. And <laughs> anyways, the romance in these two episodes is just insane. And I think it just hits you over the head really hard. Um, but yeah, <laughs> will you go penguin sledding with me is a pickup line for all you people out there to take <laughs> notes on. <laughs> because yeah, Aang comes on strong trying to set up the first date. So so some someone mentioned this to me recently and, and it kind of had me thinking. Later in the show, there's a lot of flashbacks Aang has to the... Uh, Northern Air Temple, and something that is isn't depicted is women at the temple. And I know later on there are Airbender avatars who were women, but on the assumption that there were no women at the Air Temple Ing was staying at, Katara could quite literally be the first woman he's ever interacted. With. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know that there are no Airbender children in the? That Aang was raised with that were girls. I mean, in none of the it's not not any of the flashbacks. I mean, I mean, they're all bald and they're all animated, so you know, it could be children, hard to tell. So it's, it's hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting though. Yeah, but Aang smiles pretty widely as soon as he sees. Yeah, Katara. it's pretty smitten. Um, and then we meet Appa, and it's flying bison. No one's ever seen one of those before. Um, it's pretty sick. Shout out to Appa. For the name <laughs> of our podcast. <laughs> Saga's pretty skeptical. Yeah, as usual. I like the right, and this is Katara, my flying sister line. I, I think it really quickly it establishes Sokka's paranoia immediately because he accuses Aang of being a Fire Nation spy. But something I found that just a tad bit ridiculous was Katara's response, which was, he's not a Fire Nation spy, quote, based off a look in his eye. <laughs> um, which kind of shows like how quick she is to trust people. Yeah, she um, really relies on her emotions, whereas he's much more um, calculated and rest restrained. Which is fair because the Fire Nation totally destroyed their whole village. So it's a definitely a justified paranoia. Um, and then he goes, I'm Aang. And I was just thinking, I don't know. Do they not know about airbenders? Or I guess, you know, back in the day, how would you know unless you came into contact with an airbender, what they looked like, what these animals were? Yeah. And and it was 100 years ago that the airbenders disappeared. So I think a lot of the knowledge of airbenders in general, the institutional knowledge has kind of faded away. And also they don't have like phones and the Internet, you know, to look <laughs> up images of what the airbenders <laughs> looked like. So. Okay, but here's my thing, right? <laughs> when Aang sneezes, he like airbends and goes like 50 feet in the air and then falls down gracefully. Like if you don't know what an airbender is, you're like, who is this kid? And how did he just fly? At that point, <laughs> though, that's when they realize, right? When he sneezes and comes down to the ground, he says, I'm Aang. And then they're like, oh my gosh, you just flew 50 feet. And then I think he says he's an airbender there. It's also cool because like that's kind of another extension of like your emotions as airbending. Mm, yeah, definitely not controlled. Yeah, another fun fact is that Aang and Appa both sneeze soon after emerging from the ice. So, you know, ah. 100 years of not being able to sneeze or scratch your nose kind of will get to you. So then from there, they realize they're trapped on this iceberg or island. And then Appa and Aang decide or Aang decides to offer them a lift home. And again, Sokka is like grumpy and doesn't want to go. And then he's really angsty. And then Katara is immediately or really quick to trust. Yeah, but that's that seems cool, too, because it shows Aang's generosity. And, you know, if you 
were in a giant ice thing for a long time and just woke up and just found these strangers, would your first instinct be like, I can give you a ride home? If it's you're in love with the Angus. girl, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe <laughs> we need to so remember that through all love. of this, he's very motivated by his instant <laughs> by his, connection. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that true. Just shows it's really true, though. I mean, he like, he offered, you know, later he offers yeah. to take that's guitar. True. To the that's true. That's a good point. So. That's a good point. Sokka's lucky guitar is there. <laughs> um, okay. And then more romance. Why are you smiling at me like that? Katara says. And Aang is like, I'm smiling. Oh, wait, sorry. This is when they're on Appa. And Aang's like kicked back looking at Katara. And then he's like, he's got a little smirk on his face. And then Katara's like, why are you looking at me like that? And he's like, oh, what? I wasn't smiling. What? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty on the nose. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, it's just a lot. And then, and then he's like, hey, what you thinking about? So I'll, you know, trying to be all slick. It's just a lot. I think it's personally a little bit too much, but I don't know. It is a pilot. So I think maybe they're trying to establish the fact that this is going to be an ongoing relate like theme in the relationship throughout the show. And, and the show does fluctuate in and out of this romance. I think there's a lot. There are a lot of times where you basically I mean, like for stretches of seasons, you won't hear anything about it. And then there will be one episode where they're like, Aang is daydreaming about guitar. And it's like, where did this come from? <laughs> this is really weird. I thought they were just friends. Okay, so then the next scene is back to Zuko on the ship, and we are seeing him drilling firebending with these uh, spar. He's sparring with some firebending soldiers, and Iroh is instructing him. Yeah, so when we when we cut to the ship, I thought just one thing that struck me immediately was when we cut to the ship of Zu uh, Zuko and Iroh. The first thing you see is the smoke of the ship, and it's it's very ominous, and it's kind of like representative of a lot of the. Like both technology and the the ominous presence of the Fire Nation. Like we just have this ship that runs on smoke in this kind of very natural, pristine um, ice. So it's all white. It's all clean. And it's, it's a very stark picture that shows you how the presence of the Fire Nation is is kind of ruining everything. So on, on the ship, we see Zuko practicing firebending forms and Iroh mentoring him. And what he says, this is when Iroh's wisdom really starts showing. Um, he yeah, says he's something not really just interesting. a lazy old man. Not just a lazy old man, on the contrary. Um, but he says, he reminds Zuko how firebending power comes from the breath and not the muscles. And how kind of the breath, once you start breathing, you feel the energy flowing through your body. And then the fire is just an extension of that energy. And that's a really interesting way of looking at firebending. Um, I'm sure... Over the past hundred years, the culture of firebending has been more about power, like raw power, and less about the internal uh, life and energy where fire comes from. And obviously, this harkens back directly to the firebending masters, where we learn about the true source of fire and how that's been corrupted by the Fire Nation. Something else I found really cool in this scene was uh, Iroh kind of tells Zuko that his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather have all tried and failed to find the Avatar. Which is uh, really cool because you kind of don't realize this or really think about it, but like referencing his great grandfather Sozin, um, even Zuko doesn't learn until way later on that Sozin had anything at all to do with Roku, etc. So it's kind of like a, a, a neat Easter egg. Yeah. Also, we see how impatient Zuko is, how 
he doesn't really listen to his uncle's wisdom and he wants to move on to the next form immediately. And this again shows one of uh, another main character's main flaws, which is his impatience and his not willingness to learn. But in the end, he commands his uncle to move on and his uncle concedes. So it shows a power dynamic here between Zuko and Iroh and how Iroh is still kind of subservient to Zuko. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember this being really surprising for me especially knowing how far he goes in rede redeeming this part of himself at tort, like as you get to the end of the show and just seeing exactly how petulant and ill-tempered he is here is just so shocking to know that he's this, this rude to his uncle. I mean, he is throughout the show, but you know, um, oh, and then after his, um, after his uncle is like, no, like you're not ready for that yet. He pretty much like beats up to, he just like shoots fire at one of the people he's <laughs> sparring with and he go he goes flying back um towards like i don't know the edge of the ship and it's just yeah he's definitely got anger management issues at this point <laughs> yeah um another thing i forgot to mention earlier I've, i don't know if this was the previous scene on the ship or not but we come to realize how important the theme of honor is to zuko um, he talks about how he has to uh, redeem his honor by catching the avatar and how a classic line. Honor, yeah, the classic line and how with Zuko is all about his honor. And he even calls the avatar a coward for like hiding for 100 years. And it shows how that 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 theme of honor plays such a large role in, in Zuko's worldview at this point. Yeah. And then the next scene goes back to the village <laughs> and we see Aang kind of waking up, finding himself in the village and Katara bringing him out to introduce him to the rest of um, the village. Justin, do you have any thoughts on, on the village? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, the village scene actually was really interesting to me because Aang and Katara and, and Sokka come back on Appa, this flying bison that's on the ground. And then it comes up to this like really broken down shabby village. And what struck me was after having seen in the further later seasons in the Northern Water Tribe and how like grandiose the walls were and how the benders like created these very well carved out ice sculptures, just how like bad everything looked. <laughs> <laughs> because I think later on Sokka's like, oh no, my watchtower. And his watchtower is just like <laughs> this mound of snow that like I think even I could have put together as like a six-year-old. Um, and it kind of like is very well constructed because there's no master waterbenders, no one to create the structures. And Grand Grand does not seem impressed with Aang. No, Grand Grand's not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. And that kind of makes sense. She's lived through so much of the war. I think at this point, she probably has very little hope. And this kid kind of seems really naive, has little regard for the seriousness of the state of the world and what everything that's going on. Yeah, and it, and kind of if you try to put yourself in their shoes, especially Grand Grand's shoes, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, she's so old. She's seen everything. She saw all of her friends get taken. and She is obviously very skeptical of, um, you know, outsiders. Um, but she, we see that in, in, a, in a few minutes later that we see she still has some hope. Yeah, Grand Grand is also a uh, good old sexist, dear. <laughs> she, she tells Katara like almost right away, like, hey, you have like go chores to go do. But she doesn't tell anything to Sokka. Um, and maybe it's because like he's more res responsible and she doesn't need to tell him what to do. But 
it's, I think it's a very intentional thing. And I think it's kind of like Katara has like, quote unquote, her womanly duties to perform and she has chores and Sokka doesn't as a man or, or whatever that may mean. I think that's definitely possible and true, given that she's part of the older generation and kind of with Paku's generation, right? Like they're this, you know, they have their thing going on. So uh, definitely more traditional. Um, yeah. And I, I agree. I think Grand Grand doesn't really take or doesn't really understand how much, how, how big of a blessing it is that Katara is a waterbender and that she is the last waterbender and kind of the responsibility that she has maybe to cultivate that aspect of herself rather than just take care of her brother and the other people in the village. Yeah, it could also be that Grand Grand kind of has a fear of waterbending in general. I mean, she saw um, her friends. Uh, this this harkens back to um, the Puppet Master episode with Hama and how like Hama and Grand Grand were the same generation. Now Hama was taken by the Fire Nation and Grand Grand may see waterbending as simply a threat to her family because everyone she's known that waterbended like her her daughter died and her friend was taken. Um, so she kind of neglects that or intentionally tries to put it down, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. So then Sokka is seen trying to inspire the warriors of the tribe who we learn are these little kiddos who are not very receptive <laughs> to his message. <laughs> and may or may not have bowel problems. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, toddler level humor is happening here. <laughs> Um, I, I think this scene is great because it kind of shows Sokka's leadership very early on and his natural propensity to be inspirational and also his tendency to want to be this like great military leader. And it sets up a really great juxtaposition because while you have this very clear mental image of him in your mind, later on when they're trying to take down the Fire Nation capital, he kind of freezes up in front of the entire uh, rebel army. And clearly he has the the guts to do it, right? He, he has the ability to do it because he does it in front of these kids. But he he's just, he's just a, you know, he's just a teenager and those things happen. Yeah, I think it shows also, shows everyone how much he values courage. And he's talking about to the kids how the courage is basically the most important thing. Um, but sometimes he takes that to the extreme, especially in the beginning of the show. Uh, I think as we'll talk about, he kind of stands in front of the Fire Nation boat as it with Zuko as it approaches, thinking mistakenly that he can take it on because he thinks that's some form of courage. When in reality, that's his kind of mistaken, kind of corrupted form of courage. And he kind of learns as time goes on what that really means. I think he's really rational and reasonable until it comes to his chance to be a hero and take on more of the responsibility of um taking on the fire nation that's his fatal also, do flaw we, do, maybe do we know at this point that um all of the men of the village have left to fight the fire nation when do we learn that fact in the intro that justin oh, okay, Ray? In the intro. okay okay thanks <laughs> justin sorry were maybe you I wasn't listening? listening yeah maybe i was <laughs> don't tell anyone i think there's also this like panning shot when they get into the village of the entire village and it's just all yeah women yeah and children. right but it really shows you that like Sokka is the eldest man of the village and he's trying to assume the role of protecting even though sometimes mm -hmm. he can't even he's protect himself yeah he's a noob <laughs> yeah I wonder if he adopts this kind of foolhardy courage almost as a defense mechanism to cope with losing his parents at such a young age. 
Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely possible. And I, I think as we, as we go on the show, we see Sokka's relationship with his father and obviously how he idolizes his father, um, as maybe any young man would do. And we see because his father isn't there, he's his whole, you know, macho ness courage is kind of to, in a sense, to impress his father, who was never there to validate him. And yeah, that's a big th- thing we see coming and we see, you know, him work on his relationship with his father as time goes on. So I guess the next scene is Aang finding out about the war because he's kind of or he's kind of goofing around with all the kids of the Water Tribe. Appa is a slide. Uh, he is, you know, just having fun with everybody, making friends with all the little kids that Sokka is trying to coach into being warriors. And then Aang finds out that there's been a war going on and he's like, what war? Um, but then immediately after he decides he wants to go penguin sledding and I think this just really highlights the fact that Aang is such a kid and throughout, you know, any, any time he finds out something that's slightly unpleasing or displeasing to him or anything that uh, may force him to assume a little bit more responsibility, you see this internal struggle going on with him of wanting to run away, but then knowing that he's the avatar and that he has a duty to stay and help. Um, but in this case, he's like, what war? And then he wants to go penguin sledding, right? So and yeah, you're still really early on getting to know Aang. And it's clearly established that he puts being a kid and having fun oftentimes above doing anything that he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> so I think that makes him a really relatable kid. I mean, he obviously ends up making a lot of really mature and wise decisions throughout. But I think it makes him a really relatable hero because he's a reluctant hero, of course, but he's also a 12 year old boy who is basically probably the same age as everybody watching the show, except for us. Just kidding. It's a show for everyone. Yeah. Also, as he learns more and more about the war and how things have gone to shit since he's been gone, I I think at this point he still doesn't know how long he's been gone, but I think he has a sinking feeling in his like, in his body that something has gone wrong. And he, you know, when he wakes up, he tells Katar and Sokka, like, I know the Avatar, I was friends with him. He doesn't admit he's Avatar. So clearly he doesn't want to face the fact that he's Avatar right now because he's he's very much in denial that he's Avatar because he's just scared of what happened and that it might be his fault. So then they decide to go penguin sledding and Aang is like, Katara, will you teach me how to catch a otter penguin? And Katara's like, yes, I will. And then they catch a penguin and then they start to go sledding. Um, and a quote that I thought was really cute was Katara says, I haven't done this since I was a kid. And Aang says, you still are a kid. So this really brings to light again how much Aang is at this very moment. He's very in denial. He's also younger than Katara. So that maybe he's still um, just in his head a little bit more youthful. But I think him being the iceberg for so long has allowed him to keep his youthful optimism and Katara knowing everything that's going on in the world has been forced her along with Sokka and all the other children of the world have been forced to grow up too fast too soon. And Aang um, being the iceberg for all this time, I think really, really crafts his character into what he is throughout the show. The fact that he's just missed out on so much. As he goes adventuring with Katara and Sokka, he is slowly being exposed to the realities of the world. But I think the fact that he's been gone for so long allows him to keep a sense of optimism that um, even surpasses a lot of, even surpasses that of Katara. Um, And this is, this quote really shows that um, 
Katara feeling like she's not a kid anymore, which is um, just, yeah, really tragic. But that's just how it goes when the war, war, world is enveloped in war. He's a child of peace. Indeed. They are children of war. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then they go and they sled and they find the Fire Navy ship. Dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then they go in the Fire Navy ship. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay. And then I have a question. So why is a Fire Nation ship booby-trapped? Did a Fire Nation booby-trap their own ship? I, I think there's good reason, right? Because like the fire like the reason the Fire Nation initially goes to war is to spread like the technological wealth and prosperity that they have. And they're much more te- technologically advanced. And the, a big reason why they can go to war is because of the advanced ship technology that they have. And they don't want to give that te- kind of technology to another very like water centric, like ocean faring tribe, I guess. So maybe that's like one reason they do it. Also, uh, and the, you'll kind of see this later on. I think the tribe knows it's booby trapped. Grand Grand at least knows it's booby trapped and that hence why it's forbidden to be explored. Which is another interesting plot hole, maybe. Maybe it was booby trapped by the water tribe for other water tribe people to not go. Oh, and Grand Grand knew about it. That's how she knew about it. She's the one who booby trapped it. <laughs> <She's>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So then they enter the ship and Aang finds out that he's been in the iceberg for a hundred years because the war is a century old. And Katara's like, there, that's the only reason why you wouldn't know about it. Or it could be because monks renounce the world. So, you know, that's another reason. <laughs> Okay, let's just go with 100 years. (laughs) And he's like, do I look like an 112-year-old man to you? Um, Which is true, he doesn't. He looks very good for his age. (laughs) I'm sure Walt Disney will too when he emerges from his block of ice that he's (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's like sinks into despair and then more romance. He's, Katara's like, maybe there's a bright side to all of this. And Aang says, well, I did get to meet you. So he's still playing. And then they set off a booby trap and they set off a flare. And dun, dun, dun. the music as they try to escape is epic. And I finally figured out it's Agni Kai. So that's the name of Not the track. Not the final Agni Kai. Not the final Agni Kai, which is Kai. also epic. But this is just Agni Kai, um, which they use a lot in these two episodes. And it's, I think... It's the most banging song out of the whole soundtrack. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and it's rarely used in the rest of the show. I don't know why. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. Oh, I'm getting <laughs> so excited just thinking about it. I think the funniest part of all of this is when Aang and Katara are running off the ship. Zuko's kind of looking through a telescope and he says... The last airbender, quite agile for his old age. <laughs> I know, it's so funny, but even his view in the telescope, you can tell he's kind of short and small. Um, but I, yeah, whatever, I thought it was funny too. <laughs> All right. Quiz. Go. Ask the question. Oh. Joyce. Okay, so this is one of two episodes that ends with to be continued. What is the other episode? Mention your answers in the comments below on the Facebook page, on the Instagram page, or on the Twitter page. I don't know if it's called the Twitter page. You can Google this really easily. (laughs) You can Google this. We won't know. Uh, Anand, you sound like a uh, one of those deep fakes. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was what I was trying to go for there. But uh, 
trivia. Okay, so that's the end of this episode. Um, and so I guess we can conclude with some brief thoughts overall on this first episode, as well as our personal ratings of the episode. So what are you guys' initial overall encapsulating thoughts on what are the themes, what are the your impressions, etc.? Okay, my initial thoughts on this episode is I just really like how they made a lot of characterization so quickly uh, in this episode. And I was talking to some people about the show today and they're like, yeah, one of the best things about the show is the character development. And they can only do that if they lay a good groundwork for, you know, the initial character and do a lot of show don't tell. And they do that really well in this episode. They lay out, you know, Sokka's character, his flaws, Katara's character, her flaws, Aang, Zuko, Iroh. They got all the main characters and they all are doing things that perfectly encapsulate their beginning of their whole arc. So that's what I like best about this episode. Yeah, something really cool about this episode is how well it establishes the world of Avatar. For example, you know, even in the opening sequence, they talk about other nations like the Earth Nation and the the air nation, the fire nation, these like other places in the world that you haven't seen yet. You've only heard mentioned and makes grounds the world kind of that there's all this lore out there that has yet to be discovered. And I think that makes me want to come back and watch more. Like, where do they go? Like, where is this like grand adventure that the heroes go on? I want to see these other places that they explore on their flying bison that could or could not fly. We don't know. Yeah, at this point, oh, yeah, we, we don't, don't know. know it could be a Ooh. whole, it could be a ruse. <laughs> um, <laughs> could be a con man the biggest con man my initial thoughts were wow they really went for the whole romance thing i'm surprised <laughs> um, then i i totally agree i think they do the characterization really well for everyone um everyone who's appeared so far but in terms of plot i i don't think there's a lot explained like i think like on and set said i think there's a lot of show don't tell and i think there are so many questions out there about like what the heck is going on. I think if this was my first time watching it, like I get a sense of all the characters, but I don't know what Zuko is doing. Like I don't know who Aang is. I don't know what is going to happen at all. Um, so yeah. And I kind of love that. I love how we don't know much at this point and a lot more is revealed in the next episode, but still not that much. So, um, the IMDb, I just got the IMDb rating for this episode. It's an 8.1 out of 10. So out of 10, what would you guys give this episode? All right. In my notes, my initial thought, I gave it a 7 out of 10. Because of everything good, I just said that's the good. Um, the bad is like it is kind of slow. There's not a lot of action in this episode. But it sets up things really well. So I give it a 7 out of 10. I'm going to use a good old college curve here where uh, five is a C and C is average. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not going to I'm going to be nice. Not going to be nice to these students. You know, they get what they deserve. It's a solid five. <gasps> That's what it needs to do. But it's not particularly. You're right. The plot isn't particularly interesting. It, it needs to do the function of a, of a first episode, right? You're introduced to everything. It establishes the characters, gives intrigue. But nothing's like super cool about this episode. Yeah, I'm going to split the difference here. And I gave it a six <laughs> um, nice. uh, for pretty much all the re uh, reasons that Justin said. I think it sets up the characters in a great way. But I don't know. For me, at least rating, I kind of think about 
maybe just more if I would rewatch it. I don't know if that's the best way to evaluate an episode, but it is kind of slow. And it, despite the fact that it gives a really great introduction to everybody involved, um, I think not too much happens. And I think, I don't know, I thought the romance thing was too much. <laughs> and <laughs> and some of the interactions I thought, uh, I mean, they were necessary for the sake of setting up the characters, but they are just knowing how, how much they grow. I think it's it's a little bit of a jolt to see them see all the characters be so stuck in their ways. And maybe that's, it's maybe that's unfair for me to like evaluate it negatively for that reason. But I think some of the, some of the characteristics were, you know, there are two on the nose. Um, yeah. And that concludes the boy in the iceberg. So now we're going to move on to part two of this one hour premiere, which is the avatar returns. And yeah, Xon gave you a little description of it. And we're going to start off with our reactions as we rewatched it. So fun fact, as before we begin, it is the longest recap in the entire series. So before the episode starts, we got a recap of what goes on in episode one, which is funny because they just showed episode one. <laughs> but I guess if you're watching them out of order, maybe like Anand did, um, then yeah, you need a little bit of a recap. So recap. They set off the flare and now they're on the run and they return to the village. Yeah. And I think we can say it's, it's a pretty negative reception. Grand Grand is not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, my baby traps worked. <laughs> Grand Grand is very disappointed. Um, and so they decide to banish Aang from the Southern Motor Tribe. Yeah, Sokka is like Aang's traitor. He's signaling the Fire Nation. And Katara's like, Sokka, you're making a mistake. And then she says, she defends him, obviously, because they're in love. <laughs> she says, Aang is not our enemy. Aang has brought us something we haven't had in a long time fun, which is interesting. I think Aang really thinks of fun as an antidote to much of the world's problems. And obviously. And his own problems. And his own problems. And we see that in the headband where he tries to bring fun to the Fire Nation children. And it really works. It, it is fun, kind of inspires hope. If there's fun is something to live for, you know, and Katara is thinking that Aang has introduced some hope into the world, at least being something new, something that's a diver like divergence from the norm, which is just misery. And does he spark joy? <laughs> Just you gotta keep him you, you gotta keep him can't put him out you're making a mistake um yeah but i think it's interesting Sokka calls him a traitor and a foreigner and it really sets ang up as this outsider figure uh i mean clearly he is and he's caused some danger i mean he literally alerted zuko to them so he caused danger so there is some justification for um banishing him but then we also see katara who, as soon as Aang is banished, he's like, I'm banished too. Like, I'm leaving my whole family. So that kind of shows Katara's, like, you know, petulance, petulance and indignation. And she jumps to the extremes very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I will say at this point, and I think this is the only time I will say this about this show. Something happened that was just completely unbelievable to me. Th this girl runs up to Aang. She's like, Aang, don't go. I'll miss you. And she just sounds so robotic it just took me out of my element i'm like this girl's definitely fake she's like a robot run by the fbi like don't believe her <laughs> deep fake that's so funny because i also read online people taking issue with this girl but i thought it was really cute and sad i believed it i thought it was cute too 
but see like if i was katara i would look in her eyes and like that's the eyes of a fire nation traitor (laughs) (laughs) she's seen something Uh, she knows things she's fomenting (laughs) insurrection amongst the other young children that sokka's leading She's the one who set the booby traps. Let's make this clear. Oh, my gosh. She's so <laughs> sus. Okay. Um, all right. So then Aang leaves and we go to the next scene of preparing for battle. So, um, well, I guess before that, romance. So Aang leaves with Appa and then Appa says, like, something and then, like, not real <laughs> words. And then Aang is like, yeah, I liked her, too. <laughs> ah, Cute. Sad. Heartbroken little boy. Um, yeah, but then we see the preparing scenes where we have the men of the of the show at this point, I guess, are preparing for battle. It's such an interesting dichotomy between Sokka and Zuko, who seem as the opposing warriors of both sides <laughs> at the moment. We have Sokka wearing his face paint, um, which is probably a reference to some of the native tribes that the Water Nation tribes are inspired by. We have Zuko putting on his armor and... Um, yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. And then the ship appears and it's huge. That was the first thing I noticed was, damn, it's gigantic. And Sokka thinks he can stand up to the ship himself, like An was saying earlier, and prove himself and be the hero of the village. Um, but he immediately gets wrecked and pwned by Zuko who doesn't even try and he's like Sokka is so beneath him he doesn't even need to use firebending really um he's just a more skilled warrior overall he does he does get him with the boomerang though yeah he does get him with the boomerang and Zuko gets really mad um but before that yeah before that Zuko this was really crazy and it made me again it just jolted me into realizing how far Zuko has to journey throughout the show. He grabs Gran Gran, um, who I guess they don't like at this point. I don't know. <laughs> so maybe this uh. is fine. But he grabs Gran Gran and he says, where is the Avatar? Where are you hiding him? He'd be about this age, master of all <laughs> elements. And it was just very aggressive and very shocking. And I felt like I felt it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so, so mean and so heartless and I know Zuko's not like that deep down inside. Yeah. And then the boomerang hits him and he gets owned and he, I think gets really mad and he, he brings out the fire daggers, I think. Um, and then Aang to the rescue. Real quick. I think something else that this scene establishes really well is how he doesn't, Sokka really doesn't rely on his physicality or even his fighting skill to fight. It's a lot of his intellect. And this is just kind of like a, a sneak peek at, at things we'll see later on. Um, yeah, so Aang comes to the rescue. Um, he sees the Fire Nation ship heading towards the Southern Water Tribe, and he realizes he has to go back. And again, Agni Kai hits right here, and Z- he appears, and Zuko and him kind of get into it. And uh, he's saying, like, leave them alone. I'm the Avatar. And everyone's like, what? Aang is the Avatar? Um, yeah, and then they start fighting. And I wrote, air is useless. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because maybe air could be a lot more powerful. Maybe it's the philosophy of the airbenders as a peaceful nation that lends itself to the seemingly uselessness of air. This is also the first time Aang, we see Aang fight. And also could be the first time he ever uses it in combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so maybe, maybe the takeaway war. here is Aang sucks at airbending. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, he invented the air scooter. He's a prodigy. He got his tattoos before everyone else. Um, and then I guess, you know, before he goes to the ship, he says he realizes that this fight is going to be really destructive to everybody in the village. And he asks Zuko, um, if I go with you, will you leave the village alone? And Zuko decides yes. And I think that's also the first clue into Zuko's character, knowing that there's something there beneath the surface. There's more than what meets the eye. He's not just evil um purely evil he's actually merciful and you know as long as he's getting what he wants um and fulfilling his destiny he's willing to not destroy everything in his path okay so now we're on the ship i guess before okay sorry and before we go to the ship katara and sokka realize that ing has just sacrificed himself um to go to save their village and katara is like okay we have to go save ing so they they get ready for their journey. Um, and then Grand Grand shows up and she brings them their packs and she is now more amenable to the idea of them going with Aang. I don't think she has an actual change of heart. I, I think <laughs> I think she thinks I think she thinks that the Avatar is the only savior to the world, which I think is false. And they put a lot of false faith in this idol and i think she's believing in the idea of an avatar but really she still has her same doubts about Aang because this kid could have killed them all i think that's true i think that's a good point however i think it's important that there is a symbol that gives people hope i think Aang has really proved himself in that moment where he sacrifices himself to save the tribe um and i think that that combined with the fact that they found out he's the avatar reflects well on him because he's willing to accept some responsibility. And, um, I think it is, I think there is this notion of destiny too. the fact that Katara and Sokka found him and he is the avatar. And then he did do this, uh, make the sacrifice for the village, making it seem worth it to grand grand to, for them to at least see this through. Let's see what happens next. So then they leave to find Aang and, then we're on the ship and Aang is trying to break free. So Aang is being escorted by these guards and Aang says something along the lines of, have you ever fought an airbender before or something? And then uh, the guards like silence. And then Aang just jumps up, does his airbending stuff and gets away. Uh, and then Zuko um, entraps Aang by baiting him with the staff. And then Zuko gets him. And then so this is the fight scene. Um, and then we see Aang and Zuko duke it out again, except Aang isn't really duking it out. He's basically just hiding behind Zuko and using his defensive tactics that I guess he was trained with or he's just employing for the first time here. But anyway, so again, it shows Aang's fighting technique and how it's super defensive. Um, and I guess that's part of the philosophy, the peaceful philosophy of the air monks. Um, but eventually um, Aang kind of smacks Zuko down and runs away. Um, yeah, so I guess then he escapes and he, uh, emerges on like the top level of the ship and he thinks he's getting free and then he tries to fly away and then Zuko grabs onto his ankle and he drags him back down to the ship and then they have another fight where I think this is where the Agni Kai music comes back in. Um, but yeah, they have another fight and I think Aang gets thrown overboard at some point. Yeah. 
This is the first time we see Aang enter the Avatar state. Yeah, so he is sinking down into the water. Um, at this point, we know this is also what happened to him when he got caught in the storm and froze himself in the iceberg. And so... This is the only trigger we know of the Avatar state, but then his eyes start glowing, his tattoos start glowing, and we see him enter the Avatar state and enter Avatar theme song, which is also extremely awesome. Okay, I I had a thought real quick. So the last time Aang was in a similar... I mean, it was a different situation, so this might not apply, but it was a kind of similar situation the last time he was here. Like, he was falling in the water, and he was very desperate, and so... This is like a fight or flight moment. And the last time it happened, he flighted and froze himself. But why does this time, why does he choose to fight? And right before he enters the the Avatar state, he hears Katara calling out his name. So does he choose to fight because now he has this love interest in Katara? Mm, I mean, the first time there was no one really posing a threat to him, right? That's also true. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, cinema sin type thing um, is that when he emerges from the water in Avatar State, his eyes are glowing, but his tattoos aren't glowing. Oh, wow. yeah, Good catch. fun fact. But maybe, maybe he's in the baby Avatar State. <laughs> baby Avatar State. <laughs> yeah, I guess another thing this sets up is that it's very. I, I mean, he addresses this later. I think when I think Katara asks, like, how did you do that? But I think this sets up or shows, but doesn't tell the fact that he has absolutely no control over what's when he enters after our state. Um, and it's purely a defense mechanism, fight or flight reaction. Um, so, yeah, then he enters after our state and then he just completely pones everyone. And um, Katara and Sokka are watching from Appa and they're like, oh, my God, how did he do that? That's insane. And it just... It sets Aang up as someone who cannot be trifled with. <laughs> like he is really, you know, despite being this kid who wants to shirk all responsibility, he is incredibly powerful and should not be underestimated and is definitely, yeah, could definitely really change the tide of everything that's going on. So this is also the first confirmation that he is indeed the avatar. It's not an eight-year-old. Yeah, pun. he wasn't just lying. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't all fake. Appa can fly. He's actually the avatar. <laughs> um, yeah, and then he uh, sets off the. He breaks off a piece of the glacier and it falls onto Zuko's ship. At this point, the battle is over. I think Zuko and the um, the other firebenders have all been defeated, and yeah, the team just, is reunited. Yeah, this is just one thing. So when when um, they're flying away on Appa, um, both Zuko and Iroh kind of launch a fireball at them, which Aang redirects to knock down the icicle, which ruins the ship. But it was just interesting that Iroh also joined in the fire attack against with Zuko against the Avatar team. Because I don't know that, Z uh, that Iroh ever attacks the Avatar or the Avatar team otherwise in the rest of the show. He doesn't. Yeah, I think this is the only time. Yeah. yeah. It's also really interesting because I think the move they use is the same move that Aang and Zuko learn later on at the Sun Temple. Oh, mm, interesting. Good catch. Okay, so then the ending scene is we see Team Avatar, not yet formally named, but we see them flying away on Appa and Katara says... Why didn't you tell us you were the Avatar? And Aang says, because I never wanted to be. So this really establishes explicitly that Aang is a reluctant hero, that he he's not ready 
he's still a kid. He's not ready to assume this responsibility that's just been given to him. Um, and Katara is, as always, the heart of the group. And she, I find it really um, impressive how she inspires the team at this point. Um, she, well, she she immediately goes to problem solving. She's like, well, what what is the Avatar supposed to do? The Avatar is supposed to master all four elements. Like we can start by going to, and you're supposed to master them in the order. So um, we'll go to the water, the Northern Water Temple, or sorry, Northern Water Tribe, and then we'll go to the Earth Kingdom, and then we'll go to the Fire Nation. We'll master all the elements. Um, and Aang takes some comfort in this, and he's like, oh, we can learn together. And you know, he perks up at that thought because he will get to spend time with Katara, and Katara is also going to be able to master water bending. And then she turns to Sokka. And she says, and along the way, you'll get to kick some firebender butts. And so I think this is just just shows her ability to inspire the people around her and to she's the glue of the team. And you can see it right here as Aang is doubting himself and Sokka is like, probably like, what am I doing here? There's, these benders are going to learn bending, you know, <laughs> like I'm not I'm kind of extraneous. Um, so, yeah. That concludes it, and they float off into the sun, and that concludes the episode, The Avatar Returns. So again, let's do a little wrap-up with our thoughts on this episode specifically, and give our rating. Yeah, I think this episode was more of exposition, kind of exploring and fleshing out the characters. We see Zuko finally interact with Aang and Team Avatar. We see... Katara and Sokka leave the nest. And I think these are very important things to establish where they come from and where they can go. But I don't think there's too much crazy plot points going on here. Um, yeah, as I just said, with Katara gets really set up as the glue of the group, as you see the three of them unite at the end. Um, and Sokka's really come around at this point, and she is just the center. Um, and then I think you see... I think you see maturity in Aang in this episode that you don't in the last episode of him turning himself in, of him using his epic avatar powers. Um, and I think, yeah, this paints a picture of the wiser, um, more responsible side of him that the other episode doesn't. And then, yeah, I think I think those are like the points in the character development that I think this episode has over the last episode. Wait, just real quick. I also enjoyed the bending action in this episode that was... That was certainly not in the last episode. <laughs> so IMDb gives this show or this episode a rating of 8.3 out of 10. So 0.2 mm -hmm. higher than the last episode. So how does that match up with you guys? I think I give this a solid like 7, 7.5. Wow. 2.5 oh, wow. over wow. the last one. Interesting. Purely because this is the first time we see the Avatar state. And it's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm giving this a six out of ten. I just thought I, I really liked all the all the character stuff in the in the first episode. And this episode was just to me in general seemed except for the bending action, just seemed a little more lacking than the first episode. Hmm. I disagree and I give it I gave it a seven out of ten. So a little bit I, I liked it better than the first episode because I think I think the action like Justin was saying, the Avatar State and all the action that goes on really makes this sh this episode exciting and more rewatchable. And I think I think you get to see just a little bit more of the deeper sides of the characters, and and it's less superficial. 
So I guess now we're going to finish off this episode just talking about um, some of our questions about the first two episodes as a whole. So I think um, I have a question. So what would you guys' thoughts be on the show if this was your first experience with the show? If you were sitting there in 2005 watching this one hour long premiere, um, what would you take away after finishing the second episode? And would you want to keep watching it? What would your thoughts be on the different pe- on the world and the characters and stuff like that? <laughs> Beyond being six, um, I, I think the whole concept of bending is really, really intriguing. And on that premise alone, I would keep watching. Also, the, the whole plot is, is pretty intriguing. This idea that there's this avatar that exists who exists throughout lifetimes and this, there's this war. And I think another part of why I enjoy this show so much is because it's so different from everything else that is out there, especially in American cartoons that was like on Nickelodeon at the time. You know, some of the other things were like Spongebob and... Blue's Clues. Blue's Clues. <laughs> Wait, Justin, plot hole. Didn't you yes. watch? Didn't you not watch Nickelodeon? Didn't you not have cable? Well, I knew these things existed. <laughs> Everyone talked about SpongeBob. Plot hole. <laughs> I'm a very cultured man. You know? Um, yeah, I would continue watching this show. I, I I guess as we said before, I think the, the bending is very cool. There are just a lot of questions that are left unanswered. What is the Fire Nation? What is Zuko's motivation? I think I think the Zuko storyline is very compelling here. I think um, what are they going to do next is very compelling. I don't know. It seems like there's a lot left to be explored. And yeah, I would keep watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny to think about because we've obviously kept watching and we obviously like it. Um, but I think there are a lot of unanswered questions, which I think is good and bad. Like I think for some, the world, the world building and setup is enough to want to keep watching. But I think for maybe for others, like, for example, I think the Zuko uh, storyline maybe isn't intriguing enough to really be thinking about him at the forefront of this. Like, I think still at the forefront of this is well, like what are, how are they going to master waterbending, you know? And so the Zuko storyline still isn't as intriguing. And so I think there's a risk of losing some people after this pilot, but I mean, if this is my first time watching it with the bending, I would think it's so awesome that I don't think it would matter, but I've definitely felt it a little bit as I've tried to get some of my friends now to watch it. Mm. You know who you are. Just kidding. You wouldn't <laughs> be listening to this if you hadn't seen it. But um, I think, I think, I think for some, maybe the, the, like I don't think there's a real cliffhanger at the end of the pilot. Like I think, I think you could yeah, stop and be totally point. fine. Okay, so that uh, concludes this episode of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed rewatching the first two episodes with us. And um, as always, we will see you next week for the next episode, uh, which is the Southern Air Temple. In the meantime, feel free to follow us on social media. Um, we can be found at at what's underscore appa on instagram and twitter we also have a facebook page so you can like us there and if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode or the this episode of the podcast this episode of the show or the next episode of the show the southern air temple we would love to include them in our next episode um, and include you guys in on the discussion so feel free to email them to us at 
whatsoppapod at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Instagram or Twitter. Um, and we look forward to hopefully hearing from some of you guys soon. That's it for this week. Thanks again so much. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Flamio, Hotman. Hotman.